and also because we have such a over-exaggerated sense of individual responsibility, you know, that we really do believe the American dream that if you work hard, you'll be a big success. And if you're not a big success, you have no one to blame but yourself. So, so we have a real hard time with systemic racism because of that individualism. Hello, dear friends and damn givers. This is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is the show where I sit down for meaningful conversations with people who saw something wrong in the world and gave a damn about it. I truly hope today's conversation gives you hope and pushes you to give more dams than ever before. Before I introduce my guest today, I wanted to check in with you and see how y'all are doing. Things feel heavy right now. Again, I know that. If you have been tracking with me on the show or follow me online, you know that I feel things deeply and all the time. And I suspect many of you do as well. That's why you're here. That's why you give a damn. But maybe you're feeling it too. Do you feel the heaviness this week? The massive explosion in Beirut that happened a couple of weeks ago, wildfires ravaging California, 794,274 coronavirus global deaths right now. Continued protests and racial tension in America in the aftermath of the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and so many others. And I'll be honest, more than any of the things I just mentioned, I feel so deeply the millions of people hurting right now that'll never have their stories told. They're suffering in a variety of ways in silence. So there's so much hurt and pain and craziness right now, but... As my friend David Dark says, we live in hope. We live in hope. And that's why we give a damn, right? Because we hope. And we continue to do the right thing day after day after day after day. So I hope you're doing well today. I hope you're taking care of yourselves. I hope you're pacing yourselves for the long road ahead. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And please know that you can hit me up anytime at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I want to see you friends in the damn giving business for a long time to come. Okay, fascinating and interesting guest today. If you grew up anything like I did, that is in a deeply Christian bubble, then you know exactly who my guest is. His name is Phil Vischer, and he, among many other things, is the creator of VeggieTales. And if you don't know what VeggieTales is, it's one of the most popular children's shows in the last 25 years. And I don't know the numbers, so maybe this is super out of line, but it may be one of the most popular children's shows of all time. I mean, the following, maybe not so much now, but when it was in its heyday, was it was a frenzy. It was a crazy, crazy following. Even millions of people who weren't religious in any way would watch these, this TV show, these shows. And a little personal testimonial, I watched so many episodes of VeggieTales. I have definitely watched every single episode more than once. I know they came out when I was a teenager, but I am one of 12 kids. You guys know this. And I am the second oldest, so I have 10 siblings that are younger than me. And when this show came out, I was a teenager, but I had a ton of little siblings. They would watch them all the times. I would sit down with them, and for that reason... I can recite so many episodes and I can probably sing almost every VeggieTales song on cue right now if you were to ask me. But enough about VeggieTales. 
Let's get to the real reason I asked Phil on the show because it definitely wasn't just to talk about talking tomatoes, talking cucumbers, talking grapes, and many other talking vegetables. I invited Phil on the show to talk about this video he made in June that went viral. In the aftermath of the public and horrific lynching of George Floyd, Phil released an 18-minute video called Race in America that so far has 1.2 million views on YouTube, 5.5 million views on Facebook, and the queen herself, Viola Davis, shared it on her Instagram as well, and it's gotten hundreds of thousands of views there. In this video, Phil does a fantastic job sharing in a truly bipartisan way, which we talk about in the show, why systemic racism is real and how it came to be. So I hope you listen to our chat today and then immediately go watch his video, Race in America, right away. Lucky for us, in the last few days, he just dropped a part two that already has tens of thousands of views. It's 26 minutes long, and in it, he answers some of the biggest questions he has received in the aftermath, in the aftermath of his first video. I'll link to both of these videos in the show notes or just go Google it, because it's out there. We also spend a few minutes discussing faith, and here's why. Phil still identifies as an evangelical Christian, and I asked him, what the hell, Phil? Are you crazy? Just kidding. I didn't ask it like that, and honestly, I liked his answer. I asked him, why would you still want to identify being a part of the same group that still supports Trump so deeply and loudly and uh, cult-likely, if that's a word. And you know what? I liked his answer a lot. So you'll have to listen to our conversation to hear what he said. Okay, let's get right into our conversation. Yes, enough yip-yap from me. As always, my email is hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can email me anytime for any reason. And here's my conversation with Phil Bisher. Let's go. Phil Vischer, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you. Thank you, though. I will be saying let's give a darn because I was raised correctly. Totally fine. You are you are guest number two out of 160. I had a wonderful, actually, from the Chicago, you're in the Chicago area, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I had a wonderful teacher, uh, Mr. Reed. Uh-huh. Uh, he's kind of, he got, he got, he is, one of his videos went viral of him like rapping with his kids and um, yeah, I think it's, I think his name is Dwayne Reed, Dwayne Reed. Anyway, he's in the Chicago area and he, because he has kid, you know, he's a teacher. He was like, I just want you to know, yes. I'm not going to say, let's give it down. I'm going to say, let's yes, give it down. Right. See, I um, got in trouble from my grandmother. If I said, but mm. I could say bottom, bottom was okay. Derriere was passable, but was a bridge too far. So, so, and I was a uh, rule following kid. So while others might've just waited till she was out of earshot to say the words she didn't want to hear, I kind of just stuck with it. Is that all right? Yeah. So, so now that you're, you're a mature adult, uh, you just kind of stuck with it. It's just kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's a way for me to uh, look down on other people. So, you it. know, you, you, it's a way you can take a virtue and turn it into a vice. I get it. By, you know, I don't swear. And so now I can feel superior. So I'm, I'm still sinning just right around the back door. I think my mother does that. Um, she, um, I think most of our mothers. Yeah, do. <laughs> I have a little bit looser of a tongue than um, 
my parents or my in-laws would like for me to have. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I, I get it. I get, I get the vice, you know, it's turned yes. into, it's turned yes. into a it's critical self-righteousness. self-righteousness. It, it always comes across as like a joke and whatever, but there's always some truth in there. Oh yeah. Always I get it. Truth. I get it. So sometimes before I do a podcast, I talk online about who I'm going to have on, right? Uh, okay. Yesterday I had uh, Mark Charles, independent presidential candidate on, uh, and, you know, talked about that and got some engagement online. This morning, I had Alex Vitale, wonderful professor from New York, talking about abolishing the police. And when I mentioned your name, um, obviously, a bunch of my either former or current evangelical uh, friends mm-hmm. popped in. And one mm-hmm. of the biggest requests was for us to do this entire podcast in the voices of Larry the Cucumber and Bob the Tomato. Oh boy. Um, I won't let, I won't have us do that because I'm we, terrible at voices. We definitely don't want to do that. No, we're not going to do and it. I do, but- when, when people, cause I do a lot of, I've done a lot of radio over the years and whenever I'm doing a live radio interview and someone will suggest, Hey, what could you do? Could we talk to Bob the Tomato? I'm not Larry. My friend Mike is Larry. So I can't do Larry's voice. Right. Although I do an imitation of it, which is bad. Bad. Um, but they said, well, you do Bob the Tomato. Can he be the interview? And I say, no. And here's why, because Bob the Tomato is the grown-up in the room. He's the authority figure. He's the one who's supposed to say only what is good and true, which means he's a really boring interview. Yeah, sure. Uh, You want to interview Mr. Lunt. You know, you want to interview Archibald Asparagus. You want to interview Pa Grape, particularly Mr. Lunt, because Mr. Lunt, I've discovered, if you know who he is, he's the yeah. guy who sings about the cheeseburger. Yeah. He can get away with saying almost anything. Almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. I can be on, you know, Moody Radio Drive Time, which is about the most conservative Christian radio you can find. And I can just go off on things because I'm Mr. Lunt. So, so I've discovered some characters are like a license to speak freely. Because, you know, and I have, I do puppets because I did another series called uh, What's in the Bible and I didn't have the budget of VeggieTales. So I had to switch from really expensive CGI to puppets, um, which can also be fun. Sure. Which can also I like be puppets. Fun. I, yeah. I switched from Walt Disney to Jim Henson, basically, yeah. at, at that point. And the most fun one is, uh, she, her name is Sunday School Lady and she's a 70-year-old Southern Baptist Sunday School teacher in a church basement. And I've discovered the same rule is true for her. She can say almost anything. So I've done live radio, you know, Christian radio as a Sunday school lady and just made up the most bizarre stories that would get me in trouble if I said them as me. But because, oh, she's 70 and she's a Sunday school teacher. Yeah, <laughs> it's she like, can you know, say it's, whatever. You know, it's still me, right? It's still, yeah. <laughs> it's still me. So anyway, pick, yeah, pick a character and uh, I'll tell you no lies from the point of view of that character. Perfect. Well, I, I'm I'm probably guessing Mr. Lunt would still not say damn though. So we'll just stick no. in our voices. We'll just no, we'll, none of them do that. <laughs> we'll just stay in our own voices because I like I like your regular voice. I like your regular <laughs> voice. So before we get into you know what, before the camera started rolling, cameras. Yes. Cameras. Uh, I told you that I hadn't really thought about you or your name, you know, from, for a couple decades, I mean, for a long time. Yeah. Right. You just assumed that I went down in the, in the plane crash. Something uh, or other. With, yeah. 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 You're sitting around somewhere, you know, playing cards or whatever. Um, no, I didn't think you were that old yet. I was going to say old folks home, but you're not that old. You're, you're much younger than that. Uh, you're still vibrant. Uh, but I'm still vital. That's right. But, but I, so I hadn't thought of you. And then all of a sudden there is this kind of rising, uh, racial, 
and political tension happening in our country. Yes. And obviously different people are saying different things, tweeting different things, different videos coming out. And then all of a sudden- And, I you, hear, and you immediately think, what does Bob the Tomato Yeah, what does Bob the Tomato have to say about, about this? this? Not what does Mr. Lunt have to say, because that would go off the rails, but what does Bob the Tomato have to say about race in America? Yeah. And all of a sudden your video started popping up. And what was interesting is it wasn't just uh, Christians or former Christians sharing the video. Like I just saw it all over the place. And yeah. so, so much has happened the last couple of months. Uh, we've all been busy with a variety of things and I've been busy, you know, starting another company and almost getting arrested for protesting and taking care of my kids during this pandemic and trying to get them to school. And so finally I was like, well, I need to remember that video that Phil did. I need to have him on just to talk about it. But before we get to the video, okay. I would love for, cause a lot of the people, uh, aren't Christian that are listening to this. They're not Christian or they just don't know what veggie tales is. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, was a very, very, very big thing. Yeah, it, um, it, it started very, very small. It was me in a spare bedroom. Uh, I was a computer animator in Chicago in the late 1980s, really at the birth of computer animation. Uh, and I was trying to, so at that point, it was just logos and bar graphs. And that's about all you could do with computer animation. And then experimental stuff that people were playing around with, like, could we do characters someday? Could we ever do characters on the computer? And, um, and that's about the time, you know, uh, the Dire Straits Money for Nothing video, very historic early MTV video was done with computer animation. And it looked horrible, but it, it was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started playing around with is what, what could I do? Because I wanted to tell stories to kids and I wanted to teach Bible stories and teach biblical values. Um, and I was trying to figure out how can I do that in a way that I could actually afford to do it. And so as I'm watching the technology progress by about 1989, I saw a way I thought I could do it, which was uh, using a, an animation technique called lattice deformation, where you can take a really simple object and put it in a lattice and then animate the lattice, a box, and then whatever's inside that box squishes. Moves, bends, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, but I needed really simple characters. So you couldn't put a puppy in the lattice that's nothing with limbs nothing with hair nothing with clothes nothing with limbs so i thought okay i want to make christian videos and i need naked bald limbless characters what could i and and the first thing i thought of was a candy bar so i made a little candy bar guy and i thought well this is great it's a whole i'll do a whole candy bar show and you know kids will love it and i just got married my wife walked by and saw the candy bar on the computer screen and said you know moms are going to be mad if you make their kids fall in love with candy bars absolutely and I thought, oh, she's right. What's shaped like a candy bar that wouldn't make moms mad about if their kids fell in love with it? And the next thing that popped into my head was a cucumber. So I made a cucumber, took the face off the candy bar, put him on the cucumber. He was tall and skinny. He needed a friend. I thought, okay, short and round goes with tall and skinny. What's short and round? A tomato. So a tomato and a cucumber, named the tomato Bob, named the cucumber Larry, simple blue collar names. They were simple blue collar guys. And uh, then spent about two years trying to raise money, like going to Christian publishers, Christian music companies, just like, anybody, anybody, will you give me money to make the cucumber dance? Anyone? <laughs> and the typical response was, well, if you go make the first one so we can see what the heck you're talking about, sure. then we'll, we'll take a look at it. And uh, I was attending a church on the north side of Chicago at the time, and I was in a a small group with some other couples. And one of the couples in the small group, after watching this for like two years, 
uh, said, what you're trying to do is too important for us to let it not happen. And so they ended up writing me a check for $80,000 out of their retirement fund. Wow. And just said, just, just get started. So, and I, uh, I then borrowed some money from a, uh, a ministry in the Middle East that wanted kids programming to put up on satellite in the Middle East. I thought, okay. And so I, I scraped together like $200,000 and quit my job, set up one computer in a storefront on the north side of Chicago, hired two art school kids that had just graduated, taught them how to do the animation. And we did the first uh, 30-minute episode of Veggie Tales in 1993 in about four months and uh, tried to sell it ourselves, which was a horrible idea. It went nowhere. But some of the big Christian music companies and Christian publishers saw the ads that I was taking out in Christian parenting magazines and ordered it and saw it and thought, this should be in bookstores. We'll put it in bookstores. That's because the VHS market was just taking off. This was just about the time that Barney the dinosaur appeared. Um, So everyone was buying VHS decks. You know, VHS started with porn and then went to kids' media. Like, you know, like all it's other a good transition. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a great transition. Yeah. So, uh, so that was 93. We did the first one and, um, did nothing in 93, very little in 94, 95. Eh, we kept trying to make one or two a year, just scratching along with, you know, a team of four or five people. And then in 96, around Christmas of 96, it absolutely exploded. And uh, we sold, I think, a million and a half videos that year and, and started getting calls from, you know, Walmart and Kmart and Target saying, hey, can we order these videos? And by 98 and 99, VeggieTales was the best-selling kids video series in the world. Uh, number two was Pokemon. Number three was Scooby-Doo. And number one w- were these Bible vegetables. Insane. So it was absolutely insane. So we sold about 30 million videos by uh, the year 2000. Um, and then I decided, oh, I think what I'm really supposed to do is build the next Disney and I'm going to be the next Walt. So I just went on a tear of hiring people and launching more projects. And we were doing like theme park shows and we were doing a live touring show and we, we started pouring money into our own feature film and I ended up getting way ahead of myself and uh, uh, ended up in a lawsuit with a former distributor in 2002 that flipped the company into bankruptcy in 2003 and I uh, lost the characters and lost the whole thing at the end of 2003 and kind of had to start my life over in 2004 which is why you probably haven't thought about me much lately. You disappeared. I, so, so what happened in 96 I, that, you know, I, I think, uh, this isn't a, this isn't a, 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 a wellness productivity podcast by any yes. stretch. It's a whole different yes. thing, but I think it's, it's cool what you just shared that like, you know, you had to beg, borrow and steal to get this thing started. And then yeah. nobody wanted it for a while. Like what was the time frame between like completing the first 30 minute episode as it were, until it blew up in 96. Give me that time frame again. Uh, three years. It was years, right? Three and, years, and, yeah. And most people just don't stick with stuff long enough to yeah, actually see I, their dreams come true. It's hard work. I was, I was kind of trying to bail. I, I was thinking, well, maybe, sure. you know, maybe I could sell this to somebody and then get enough cash out of that to launch my next thing. You know, because it's like, it's there, it's in yep. the market, but it's just not going anywhere. And I was actually in negotiations with a, a, another Christian publisher. It's like, do you just want to buy, you know, and then we can try to come up with something else to make. Do you want to buy this? And at the last minute, they backed out. 
And about three months later, it took off. You know, so it's one of those things where as, as uh, because I believe in God, I back up and say, whoa, thanks, God. You helped me yeah, dodge sure. that bullet. Um, they just, you know, just walked away. What, what made it, as far as I can tell, I tend to chalk it up to college kids because um, there were thousands of Christian bookstores all across the country. For the most part, you know, I went to them in, in the 70s to get find Christian rock music because if yeah. they didn't sell it at Musicland, you know, you couldn't find it at Musicland, you couldn't find it at Tower Records, but they, your local Christian bookstore had Christian rock. And uh, so, so it was Bible, started out as just Bibles and inspirational books. Then it ended up being, and music, and then kids' music, mm. and then uh, VHS decks started showing up in the backs of Christian bookstores and then these really cheaply produced VHS cassettes, you know, with a guy in a sock puppet and acoustic guitar singing songs about Jesus. And that was, you know, Christian kids video, um, kind of until there was, a, there, there was a, one other hit show that kind of took off uh, before VeggieTales. And I saw that and that's what kind of made me think, maybe that's a way you could actually do this, you know, because I don't think PBS is ever going to pay me to make a Christian kids show. I don't think NBC is ever going to pay me to make a Christian kids show. So maybe it's VHS cassettes in Christian sure. bookstores. So we uh, um, did a deal and we got them into Christian bookstores. And for like a year and a half, they just didn't sell at all because it was just so stinking weird, you know, yeah. is there vegetables yeah. and they tell Bible that doesn't make any sense. But we think what happened is there are lots of college kids working in Christian bookstores, but because they're college kids, they, they're not allowed to touch the important things, you know, like Bibles sure. and, right. and, and inspirational books. Yeah, so yeah. they're in the back in the kids department. And so they're the ones sitting next to this VHS deck all day, every day that was playing the guy with the sock puppet and the acoustic guitar. And then VeggieTales comes in and they're like, what the heck is this? And so they just throw it in to see what it was. And it's full of Monty Python references and it's full of really goofball songs. And it was the, it was the college kids that said, this, this is awesome. We love this. We're going to play this all the time in all of these Christian bookstores. So the backs of Christian bookstores across the country kind of became VeggieTales theaters overnight. And I remember it. I remember. Yeah. And then mom comes in and says, what should I look at for my kids? And these, these college kids are just like, well, you got to get over there. Yeah. Look, your kids are watching it right now. They're sitting there laughing right now. So that was, uh, that 95, it kind of was signs of life. And then it was Christmas 96 when suddenly we couldn't keep up with the demand and it appeared, you know, you can't get the race car to start. And then all of a sudden the race car is dragging you by the takes foot. Off. <laughs> yeah. What was so fascinating about VeggieTales is, you know, you're saying 95, 96, that would have made me 12, 13 years old when they first, you know, took off, when I would have first yeah. heard about them. And I grew up in Guatemala. Well, around that time, we actually moved to Guatemala for 10 years. And so we got it probably a little bit later. But I've watched, I mean, so in my early teenage years, I watched every episode many times. Like when my siblings would watch them, I would watch them. It was that catchy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just brilliant. It is, you know, well, thank prop, you. props to you. I mean, the songs, I mean, I can still, if you were to start, if you were to give me one note to start any of the songs, I'd probably still be able to do them 20 something years later. Um, sticky, so, sticky. Yeah, I very, wrote, uh, the first song I wrote uh, for VeggieTales was God is Bigger Than the Boogeyman mm -hmm. um, from the very first video, Where's God When I'm Scared? Yep. And I'm not very good at writing music because I don't know very many chords. I can't do anything elaborate. So it's a super, super simple song. So my wife um, is a music major. 
So I, I wrote this little song, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and played it for her. And she said, That's, that can't be a song. It's too simple. And I was like, oh, crap. Well, if this is as complex as I can write, so if this can't be a song, I'm in trouble. And what I discovered is simple is catchy. Very catchy. Complex is not catchy. So, yeah. so I, was, uh, I was benefited by my lack of sophistication, and I can only write simple songs. I have a hard time writing a song that's longer than 60 seconds, too, because then you have to have bridges and multiple verses, and you might need to modulate, and then it gets complicated, and I, I kind of lose interest. Well, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, if that's all the case, then VeggieTales was just the job for you then. Because yes. it was it was full of those catchy short songs and um, yeah, and I'm not very good at drawing complicated things. So a circle with a face, I can do that. Easy peasy. So yeah, so if you have limitations, just design something that matches your limitations. That's really the bottom line. That's your inspirational self help story, right there. There it is. There it is. I love it. Okay, so the Veggie Tales guy kind of does his own thing for years and years and years. And again, we talked again before we started recording, you have your own podcast that has 450-ish episodes. So you've been doing that for a while. I guess you said, um, you know, coming up on nine years. Yeah. So you're doing, all, you're doing all this work. What has been happening in the meantime? Maybe, like, okay, let me ask it this way. Would you have had, uh, had you experienced this kind of racial tension that we're experiencing now? back in the early 2000s when you got, you know, when you got screwed out of, you know, all the VeggieTales stuff and you were figuring out what's next, would mm-hmm. you have made the video you made on June 14 or no. what's, what's sort of happened between then no. and now that has made you sort of more aware and you, you obviously educate, obviously you, you've educated yourself enough to make a 17 minute video on these things. And you're certain enough about these truths, yeah. kind of put them out there and let the chips fall where they fall. So what sort of happened? We'll get to the video in a second. I want to talk about our current sort of political, societal, racial climate. But what happened between now and then then and now that made it possible for you to put that video out? Um, It was probably, I mean, I've, I've always kept up on news and current events. And, you know, I started the podcast because I was driving back and forth to my office you know, listening to NPR, you know, listening to This American Life, just listening to really interesting commentary about current events, and then trying to think about those things through, you know, a Christian lens, through a biblical lens to say, all right, now as a Christian, what what would I bring to that conversation? Mm-hmm. And I discovered, so I'm talking because I'm an introvert, you know, most animators are introverts, otherwise they would have been actors, and they'd be on stage instead of sitting at home with a piece of paper. Um, so I'm an introvert. So it, it's not natural for me to get up in front of people and just start talking and talking, but I'm talking in my car. Like, like this is an interesting, but what about this? What if you look at that story from this angle? And then one day it just occurred to me, well, what if I actually let other people listen to these conversations? I wonder if they would have any interest in that. And at the same time, my, uh, my co-host is a guy named uh, Sky Jatani, who was a, a, on staff at my church originally as a pastor at my church and then went to Christianity Today, you know, the flagship evangelical magazine yeah. and was an editor there and is a really good thinker on, on cultural issues. So uh, I invited him to help out with the podcast, and he thought I meant for one episode. 
And like, no, I mean forever. No, hundreds, hundreds. I mean, I mean forever. So then we just started like, okay, every week we're going to grab a couple news stories and we're going to comment on them. And um, we're going to have guests on. So, which means we need to get into the flow of who are the Christian thinkers that are saying interesting things, who's putting out books that we find thought provoking. Let's get to know them. And now we're kind of, you know, in this flow of this, this is how thoughtful Christians are engaging culture. Then we come to 2016. Okay, my brother um, is a Harvard Law grad who's the dean of a law school in Minneapolis. So super bright, smarter than I am, very well read, uh, very scholarly. And after the, this is how the, so this is where the video came from. Okay, yep. are, you, are you ready yep. for this story? I'm ready. Can you handle this story? I hope so. Okay, okay, here we go. Um, he's, a, he's a dean of a law school. 2016, Philando Castile mm-hmm. is shot in Minneapolis. He's the dean of a law school in Minneapolis. Protests uh, are all over the place. You know, kind of what we saw this year, but not quite as bad. But still, protests all over the place. One of the protests, uh, what people shut down I-94 in the middle of the night in Minneapolis, just walked out and shut it down. It came out in the news that one of the leaders of that protest was an African-American woman who was a law professor at my brother's law school and technically worked for my brother. So some of the alumni, you can imagine white alumni of that school said, you got to fire her. Sure. You know, that's irresponsible and ridiculous. I remember this. Yes. And, and my brother's response was, well, rather than that, let me ask you this question. What would have to happen to you that would make you so upset that you would do what she did? Mm. Just try to picture what it would take, you know, and, and he just turned the whole thing around. Um, my, uh, my great-grandfather started, he was one of the first radio preachers in America, and he started a Bible conference in Northwest Iowa back in the 30s that's still going on today, 85 years later. And uh, my brother and I occasionally would do classes there on law. He does them on law and, you know, being a Christian in, in approaching the legal system or, or how we think about law. And I sometimes do them on culture. So he said, this year, I am going to do a day on racial justice. So, and this is, you know, Northwest Iowa, completely white, completely yeah. conservative, Trump country. I'm going to go in and talk about racial justice. And so he did about a 90-minute presentation on racial justice, which, which was a lot of research from uh, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, um, the, the Color of uh, Law, you know, and some other really good recent scholarly works yep. on, on race. And I'd never heard half of that stuff. So I'm sitting there, you know, watching him go through these slides. It's like, holy cow, that's amazing. I came back the next week to my podcast in Chicago and said, my brother just did this really amazing class on, on I did one on new atheism and another one on uh, why none of the uh, 2016 presidential candidates said they believed in evolution. And how, how did we get to that point as a country where you can't run for president if you're a Republican and believe in evolution? So we're talking about kind of edgy stuff sure, in, yeah. in Northwest Iowa. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned his class on the podcast and a bunch of people said, oh, can you give us his notes? Can we see what he... So we did a podcast. I did about a 90-minute podcast that walked through his slides and that became one of our most uh, listened to episodes ever. So that was 2016. Is so then... Pre- where in 16, like pre-election? 
I don't remember. Yes. November, obviously. Yes, I think yeah. it was. I okay. think it was. So then we get to 2020 and the whole thing happens again in Minneapolis again. Yep. Um, and it's blowing up. And now, you know, I'm more, I'm more on social media than I was five years ago. I think we, most of us are, unless we're sane and just got rid of it entirely. But yeah, the smart ones aren't, but those of us sm- that, that yes. want to be jittery every day, keep right. Getting- Right. So uh, on conservative Christian social media, I'm starting to see videos get thrown back and forth. You know, say this is ridiculous. Racism is over. There's no systemic racism. You know, it's just everyone just needs to forgive each other and everything's fine. And, and there's so many little videos. So I, so I start saying to people, would you just listen to our podcast if you want a kind of a primer? And it's an hour and a half long and it doesn't start till 20 minutes in. So it's hard to find. It's like, I need to put this, I need to, I need to put this in a form that's easier to consume and easier to share. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take a 90 minute podcast, which kind of summarizes the new Jim Crow in addition to some other things. Fantastic work. And I'll see how much I can squeeze it down into a form Ideally, like, like, you know, you could watch um, 13th, the documentary, yep. which is also based largely on the new Jim Crow and, and interviews Michelle Alexander. Um, but it's, you know, it's 90 minutes long. And right in the middle of it, there's about 10 minutes of boo boo, bad Donald Trump. So any of my relatives that are really conservative, they're, they're gone. You know, you just lost them. You lost them at Boo Boo Donald Trump in the middle of your documentary. So is there a way to present the same information in a way that doesn't feel partisan? You know, like you're whacking one party on the head. And that's, you know, when I released the video, that was some of the first feedback was, thank you for putting this in a way where I can share it with my conservative family members, you know, my my pro-Trump family members, and they don't feel like I'm telling them they're idiots. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, I, I've watched it a couple times now. You definitely did not shit on the other party. In fact, you, uh, I think it's at like halfway through, you said, oh, it's not just the Republicans. Let's talk about what Bill Clinton did. Right. Yeah. And, and other, yeah. and other Republican leaders. So it feels very uh, approachable. Um, that, that was the goal because just from doing the podcast for so many years, you know, there, there's the progressive side. I consider myself an evangelical Christian, even though that has become a very difficult term to define. And most people define it in a way that I probably wouldn't associate with. But there's a progressive side of evangelicalism and there's a very conservative side of evangelicalism. And I recognize that I have both in my audience. So whenever I talk, I'm trying to talk in ways that don't knock out half of my audience. You know, so whether I'm, whether I'm talking about evolution or abortion or race, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And that was true with VeggieTales because I knew, you know, a huge chunk of the VeggieTales audience were homeschoolers, rural homeschoolers. But I also didn't want to lose, uh, you know, city dwellers that were starting to go to church again or having kids for the first time or had never gone to church. And so that was always the goal with VeggieTales was, can I, can I present this in a way that works for, you know, the widest audience possible? And it was the same thing with the race video. Let's put a pause in the video for a second. And uh, I want to touch on what you just shared, because a lot of the, a lot of people listening to us talk right now um, would still call themselves Christian in some yep. way, yep. but they no longer identify as, in fact, they, they shun, they've erased the word evangelical from everything, right. from their vocabulary, from their conscious, from their mind, um, for, I think, a lot of good reasons. They're, they're ex-evangelicals. Ex-evangelicals. Yes, that's what we How do you, them. so let me just ask it this way, because I don't know any other way to ask it right now. How do you stay in? 
Like how, how, how do you still identify, like what is the process you go through? Yeah. Obviously differ from other evangelicals um, that are very in step with Donald Trump and uh, that kind of evangelical Christian, which to the tune of yeah. 80% white evangelicals, which you you are one of those, uh, right. maybe not the 80%, but like they voted for Trump. And still today, I don't know what the percentage is, but many, many, many of them are going to vote again in, in like, 85 yeah. days. It's like falling all the way down to 80%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, so, so far down. So a whole lot of decay. So how do you stay, how do you stay in? What, what, what's sort um, of the process there to stay in while not we, identifying with so much did, of that? We did an hour-long podcast episode about the history of evangelicalism in America and specifically the difference between uh, what I would call Billy Graham evangelicalism, which is a Northern movement versus Bob Jones fundamentalism, which is a Southern movement. Mm -hmm. um, if you are very, very liberal or completely outside of Christianity and you see a picture of Billy Graham and you see a picture of Bob Jones, you think they're the same. You yeah. know, that's what conservative Christianity looks like. Okay. Bob Jones thought Billy Graham was a heretic. Of course. Uh, when, the, when, when Billy Graham had a, a, uh, uh, a crusade in Bob Jones' backyard in North Carolina, Bob Jones said, if any student goes to that Billy Graham crusade, you'll be expelled from Bob Jones University. So this is what we would consider today an evangelical college telling their students they will be expelled if they go to a Billy Graham crusade. Okay, that's how much animosity there was toward Billy Graham Northern Evangelicals from Bob Jones Southern Fundamentalists. So uh, the, the Northern Evangelical tradition is Wheaton College. I live in Wheaton, Illinois, so I'm a stone's throw from Wheaton College. Uh, it's Christianity Today Magazine, which was founded by Billy Graham because uh, he was a, a graduate of Wheaton College and is right here. Um, it's World Vision and World Relief and Compassion International. It's most of these big parachurch ministries that have global outreach are, are northern evangelical movements because in the 1920s, uh, southern fundamentalism kind of cloistered itself. And, and this is a fun history, but it happened after in the aftermath of the Scopes Monkey Trial, when for the first time, the mass media really made fun of fundamentalist Christians for being backwards and hayseeds. And you really believe? How could you believe that the, the, the virgin birth? That's insane. Because we're science-minded now. We've dropped yeah, all that true. stuff. Yep. So the response to that from fundamental, the fundamentalist side was to pull back, say, if you guys don't think we're cool anymore then we're just going to take our stuff and we're going to build our own colleges, build our own, you know, and we're just going to ignore you. Um, so Northern evangelicalism was a reaction to that. It was like, we don't want to go, we don't want to throw away miracles. We don't want to throw away the authority of the Bible. We don't want to throw away belief that there is a God and that Jesus will come back someday. But Southern fundamentalism has become anti-intellectual, uh, has become inward focused instead of outward focused and is a little bit racist because, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't be black and go to Bob Jones University until 1971. And then only if you were married and Insane. brought your spouse with you and you couldn't date and be black, you know, and date someone who wasn't black at Bob Jones University until 2002 or 2003. Insane. Yeah, I know. So, <clears throat> 
So Northern evangelicals like Billy Graham, even though he's from North Carolina, he did much of his ministering in the North. Yeah. Uh, he was the president of Northwestern University, Northwestern College in uh, Minneapolis, and yeah. that's where the Billy Graham Association was. Uh, and he, when he had a rally and they had a rope up down the middle to separate whites from blacks, he said, I'm not going on until you take down that rope. Mm. And the organizers said, we won't. And so he took down the rope himself, said, you're not going to have a speaker if there's a rope between the races. Um, so... So in the 40s, there was a strong reaction against Southern fundamentalism that was becoming so, you know, it had too much racism in it and too much anti-intellectualism in it. And that birthed Northern, what was called the neo-evangelical movement. That is what I am a part of. That is my heritage. Unfortunately, in the 1970s, um, when Jerry Falwell launched the moral majority, when the religious right was born, and it was born because the IRS sued Bob Jones University to force them to integrate, we think it was born because of abortion and Roe v. Wade, but it wasn't. We didn't notice yeah. abortion until about 1980. And then we got all upset about that. Uh, it was integration. School integration launched uh, the moral majority. And they took the name evangelical because fundamentalist had too much icky on it, too much, too much mud on it. So when you say, why is Bob Jones University so different than Wheaton College, for example, the reason is because Bob Jones University is, is a fundamentalist college and Wheaton College is a evangelical college that was founded by abolition, abolitionists and was a stop on the Underground Railroad mm. at the same time that Bob Jones was not letting African-Americans attend to school. So uh, guys like Sky and me and then, you know, British guys like N.T. Wright, brilliant British guys, John Stott, N.T. Wright, John Lennox, um, all still use the name evangelical and think it's too valuable to throw away, even though a lot of crazy uncles have... The problem is with the media. The problem is with, particularly the mainstream media doesn't know the difference. So they look they at... Lump, Jerry, they lump everybody together. They look at Jerry Falwell Jr. and say, that's an evangelical leader. You know, evangelicals are weird because uh, they've never heard of N.T. Wright because he's quiet and writes yeah. books and doesn't, you know, go on social media with his pants down. So he doesn't get any yes. attention. <laughs> so, so I don't give it up as a sign of, of kind of, of rebellion of saying, even though it's been sullied and is being misused, I'm going to hold on to it. My, co, my co-host guy is closer to just saying, just forget it. Just yeah. pick a different word. You know, yeah. Just don't use that word anymore. It's, it's ruined. Well, one thing I've tried to do on this podcast and in any chance that I get to talk about these things is I try to get people, I try to help people realize that no matter where you go, no matter who you attach yourself to, no matter what club you're part of, mm -hmm. there are bad people in there. Yes. yes. So whether you are, whether you're an evangelical or an ex-evangelical, whether you're a liberal or a conservative, a Democrat or Republican, any club you choose, there are going to be shitty people in there. There, there, and, are, there are crazy uncles and there are some people that are just flat out dangerous. You know, yeah. I have a lot of good friends that are Catholic and there's a, a tremendous tradition in the Catholic Church of social justice and really yes. good social theory. Um, but then you've got these priests that make everyone want to run away from the name. You know, like, ah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be Catholic anymore because of that guy. Yep. And I, you know, I, I just say, well, just fight for the name. 
Yeah. You know, well, fight yeah, for what's, the name. what's funny about bringing up Catholicism is, you know, I was, I guess, classified as evangelical for most of my life uh, up until a few years ago. And I left it kind of in a, I've gone through a lot of, a lot of thinking and a lot of processing and a lot of maturing, I guess, but I left it to not, cause I didn't want to be uh, sullied by, I didn't right. want to be spo- soiled by everything that evangelicalism was bringing along with it. But then as I was going through my journey, I ended up uh, very close to Catholicism, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I've had to have those conversations with people because they're like, wait, so you were leaving this, right. You're, right. you're leaving the group that accepted Trump, you know, it, an alleged rapist, an alleged sexual offender, it, uh, just a gross man. Mm-hmm. But you're going over here to this this tradition, this group that again has done tr- tremendous things, mm-hmm. uh, but also also yeah, right all of this stuff, right. And I think when that hit me like two years ago, because um, we're kind of like in an Anglo Catholic uh, parish community right now, so we're kind of like teeter tottering in between. But either way, when that mm-hmm. realization hit me. I just realized, man, no matter where you go. And so I, yeah, I lean progressive in, in most things. Right. But I see all the flaws on my side of the aisle. Like I see all the flaws and I'm like, man, we cannot get so boastful and haughty and and prideful about all the stuff we're doing because the same exact things are happening on both sides. We have to be very aware that no matter what crew we attach ourselves to, no matter what, you know, patch we sew onto our shirt, there's going to be crap that comes along with it. There's going to be stuff that we have to, right. again, either either deal with it or we'll just become, you know, rebellious anarchists. But I, that's another group. You know, you're, you're still attaching yeah. yourself to a group. <laughs> and there's, there's some guys in there that you're not going to be real wild about. 100%. 100%. There's, you know, some angry vegetarians that I wouldn't want to associate with. Uh, I'm sure there's some violent pacifists that I wouldn't want to hang out Yeah. With. Yeah. So no. on our podcast, we, we uh, critique our own movement quite a bit. You know, we, we'll- it's good. We talk about Jerry Falwell Jr. and we talk about why why the evangelical church doesn't have a philosophy of social theory like the Catholic Church does, and why that makes it harder for evangelicals to deal with ideas like systemic racism because we don't have a history of thinking about stuff like that because we're so individualistic. Evangelicals are very individualistic. Your faith is about you and Jesus. That's it. That's yeah. it. Just your sin is your sin. Not, you know, no systems of sin, no cultures of sin. Um, and so we, you know, we admire what is good about other traditions and say, hey, can that influence our tradition? And we have people who say, man, if you hate evangelical Christianity so much, why don't you leave? And I'm like, no, it's like I'm trying to reform my own family. You know, I'm not going to yeah. leave my family just because my uncle's crazy, you know, because I love my family. So, yeah. So I'm here. I'm committed, and I think you can do more good from inside uh, a system that that needs reforming, you know, than from outside. I mean, Luther tried to reform the Catholic Church from the inside, and then ended up getting thrown out, and now he's on the outside. Yeah, you know, right. The, the family didn't want to be reformed, and he was he didn't want to let it go. Um, but the goal, you, it's much better to work from within a system to critique a system. I mean, that's something that we're struggling with as a, not really struggling. That's a, that's an interesting word because we've, I think we've landed solidly on the side of, cause we've thought I grew up overseas. I've spent 15 years, uh, 10 years in Guatemala, five years in 30 other countries. I love traveling. I love, I don't feel at home here. I mm-hmm. not for one day 
have I felt truly at home in the United States, even though I've been back for uh, now 15-ish years on and off. And so I've thought so much. I have three little kids now, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to raise them. Um, We're trying to raise them to see all the good, the bad, and the ugly the world has. We have taken them to uh, March for Our Lives rallies. We've taken them to Black Lives Matter rallies. We have we talk through things. We process through things. They've seen things that I would my parents never would have shown me as a kid because I want them to, you know, not so much that they can't because they you know they can't process everything, but show them enough right. that they're really wrestling through these things even at five, seven, and eight. So we've thought so much about expatriate, just getting the hell out of here. Go to one of the countries because you know I recently saw this study: thirty-five top countries to raise your kids in. Uh, you know, considering all the factors, we're number 34. We're 34 right behind Mexico. And that's, yeah. that's, that's based on safety. That's based on healthcare. That's based on right. time. And the time right. column was all about how much do you have to work to have a, to have an existence to like, be able to pay all your bills. We're right. 34th on the list, but the different, so and some people should go, I think they should, if you want to go explore and go check out, you know, Amsterdam and Berlin and all these other great cities that are on the list. Fantastic. But there's also the option of staying in the system and say, I might not even see the fruits of my labor. Phil, you might not see the fruits of right. all the work that you're doing. It might, it's probably your legacy is you won't be able to see it all, but right. are you willing to stay in it yeah. and work and work and massage these changes and massage this growth in your own camp in the United States, in evangelicalism and not leave and, you know, give the big F you to your former family and say, I'm out. Like, right. There's again, that's not always bad, but some of us need to stay in, whether it's a country yeah. or a political party or a religious party, whatever it is, we need to stay right. in to do the right. good and hard work. You know? It's 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 easier to either be all in or to leave. Oh yeah, sure. You know, to say I am yep. just every I agree with everything in my political party, in my church tradition. I agree with everything and I'll fight. I'll fight you <laughs> if you criticize it or to just give it up and leave. Um, it's harder to hold it in tension. Yeah. You know, and and to say, you know, wow, I'm really troubled by, by some of the things that have happened in the Catholic Church or in the evangelical church uh, or in the Mormon church. But I'm I'm committed you know, to try to make it better because I see the, if you don't see the value, if you don't see the underlying value, then I don't know why were you there in the first place, but sure. just, just because people do something poorly doesn't mean you can't do it well. And that's what I'm trying to do with my life is just like remind people what it looks like when Christianity is practiced well and how much it's benefited society uh, and yes, then there's always people who point out, yeah, and the Inquisition and the Crusades and the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and can I can we unpack that as to why that was not following in the way of Jesus? Right. When when those things happened, when you told Jews they had to convert or leave the country, that's not really following the teaching of Jesus. Yeah, but no. they did it. I know, and they were wrong. Okay, yeah. so now let's talk Full about stop. no yes, excuses. Just they're wrong. It was just yeah. wrong. Uh, so let's talk about people who are doing it right and what that looks like and what a blessing that is, uh, has been to the world. Yeah. I had a really great moment a few months ago. I was reading, uh, chef Jose Andres, this like famous chef that, um, you know, has the world kitchen and he's like, he's a very famous chef. Maybe you, maybe you've heard, heard of him. And, but he, a couple of years ago kind of pivoted to taking meals whenever there was a need, whether it was a hurricane or a protest, or they're in Beirut right now, serving mm-hmm. tens of thousands of meals a day. And I, so wow. I read his book about how he went from, you know, being the chef to being this kind of philanthropist, taking, taking meals and money all over the world. And I loved it because I don't, as far as I know, he's not a Christian, 
-hmm. But when he talked about those that came, those that came to the rescue when there was a need, he pointed out, he said, one of our biggest allies throughout my whole career as I've been doing this is the Southern Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting because, Mm -hmm. and I know this, I have, I have a long list. I have a laundry list of issues with the Southern Baptist Church Mm -hmm. and movement. I, they have overlooked one of my dear friends who I love a ton was, uh, uh, sexually abused by her father for years. All of, all of her siblings were, and the Southern Baptist church overlooked that. And they are in a heap of trouble with her and so many others for that. Like there's so much Mm -hmm. shit going on there, but like, here's this, this guy that again, I don't think is a Christian saying there, that is the overlooking these sexual sins. This, these grievous sins that these, these dads and pastors should be in prison for the rest of their lives or whatever. There's some bad things that have been done, but they were the they were the first to come to the rescue. That's yeah. the way of Jesus. Like that is what Jesus yeah. called us to. Because Jesus never, you can't even misconstrue anything that he ever said to say to to point out that he defended any sort of abuse of yeah. women or children or anything. Right? What what did he, what what did he advocate for? Loving marginalized people and sacrificing and all these things. And 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 so point taken that we can be in a group that we don't agree with everything mm-hmm. and still stay there. And that yeah. doesn't make you, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That doesn't make you wrong for staying. Um, I think you need to wrestle through. I think people need to wrestle through why they're staying in versus leaving. But once right. you figure that out, once you wrestle through that, stay and be the change kind of weed out yeah. the yeah. horrible things. And there's, there's on the, um, on the, probably the, I was going to say the more progressive side of, of evangelicalism or the more, I'm not even sure what, how to describe it. There's been a lot of, talk about people doing deconstruction of their faith sure you know and as you're deconstructing because you got you inherited you got this big box you know from your parents or grandparents or your tradition or whatever and it's kind of a mixed bag you know there's good stuff there's bad stuff there's weird traditions there's you know purity rites there's all sorts of weird there's weird music and and you know so at, at some point if you're healthy at some point you start going through the box and saying, yeah, I think this is non-essential. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't think this is it. Yeah, um, we're not going to die on this hill. But there's but, but there's been a movement of people that are just throwing, you just keep throwing stuff out of the box and you completely empty the box, you know, and then you and then you have to ask, where, where am I? I just deconstructed myself right out of a belief system, you know? Yeah. So, so there's, a, there's people, they're really good thinkers trying to figure out how do we help people deconstruct without being left with nothing. Yeah. And I had to go through that four years ago. We did that. But what I was intentional about doing when I entered the process was, okay, we're going to take this house down to the studs to see what needs to stay. There's some, Mm -hmm. there's some mold over here and there's some, this over there. The foundation isn't, it's not solid. So let's take it down. And what I did was I was intentional you know, to, to use like a house, you know, to use a HGTV, like remodeling, you know, metaphor, like as soon as it was down to the studs, I started rebuilding right away. Yeah. Instead right. of staying too long, like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bring it down to the studs. Then I'm going to go on vacation for three months. I think that's right. where a lot of my friends, and I'm not here to judge them because a lot of them have experienced abuse and it's not easy to overcome those things. But yeah, I try to encourage people, if you're going to deconstruct, which I think is healthy, you know, to whatever level you do deconstruct is start rebuilding. Start putting things back in the box that you know that you want to be essential, right? That you believe are essential. Because if you stay too long in that deconstructed sort of mode, 
well, why the hell would you stay in? Like, there's nothing here. You just kind of move on versus saying, no, yeah. I actually think this is real. I've always believed that Jesus is real. Like I can't, I can't, I've tried to not believe that God is real. I've tried and I can't. So because of that, I'm like, okay, I'm in, but it has to look a lot different than it did growing up because I experienced right. all sorts of abuse in the name of, uh, this is how it is. This is, this yeah. is what it looks like yeah. to be a parent and a child in super conservative cultish, like evangelicalism that I grew up in. Okay. And there, and there's a lot of social cost to that. Yes. Because you know, when you start throwing, when you start questioning, because at some point uh, when a kid is growing up at some point, they do need to question everything and decide if they actually, you know, am I believing this because I believe this or am I believing this because my parents yeah. did. So that's, you don't reach adulthood if you've never considered throwing everything out. Um, trying to help people through that, you know, and give them enough. Cause if, if depending on how you've been raised, you might think that you have to throw away Jesus. If you're not going to believe the earth is 6,000 years old, right. You know, and how we got kids to that point is really, really makes me sad. Yeah. That's like, I either have to reject all of science or I have to walk away from Jesus. Well, I yeah. think that's what's happening, honestly, with the, you know, and you talked about the difference between the Northern evangelicals and the Southern, right? And one of the descriptors used for this kind of Southern evangelicalism is anti-intellectual. It almost became a yeah. hallmark of, and so now I, I just had a conversation the other day with a friend who still plans to vote for Trump in a couple of months. And he based that 100% on, as long as he says he is pro-life, that's, that's the vote. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter yeah. that a couple dozen women have accused him of sexually abusing them. It doesn't matter that he admitted to walking in the dressing room on underage girls at his pageant while they were naked. He admitted to that. It doesn't matter any of these things. It doesn't matter that we shit on Bill Clinton for what he did when he was in office. It doesn't, none of that matters. It only matters that he says that he is pro-life, even though he's clearly not, right? Mm -hmm. His whole, I mean, if you look at the whole of his life, he's the furthest thing from that. And That's, so when you, yeah. when you base it just on that and you, and you, you, uh, yeah, you act kind of in a, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's anti-intellectual to not look at the whole scope of everything. Well, and that's, that's one of the ways that, that Catholics have a great advantage over evangelicals is that they have a long tradition of a, a fulsome ethic of life. You know, so it's sure. not, because evangelicals woke up very late, about 1981, we said, oh, we think the culture is going to hell in a handbag and abortion is why, <laughs> you know? And, yep. it, and, and so the criticism against evangelicals is that you only care about babies until they're born and then you don't care about them at all. You know, I mean, that's not an invalid thing to say when you look at the policies that are being supported. Um, and the, you know, the, the Catholic church was the first group to, to raise their hands about abortion, say, we're really uncomfortable, you know, with the direction Roe v. Wade is taking the country. Uh, they were the first there, but they were at the same time also saying, and we're against the death penalty, you know, and we want to work on poverty and we want, we want to work on all these issues because they had a, they had a full born ethic, um, of social justice that evangelicals just never had, you know, it was yeah. too new and too individualistic. So there, there are a lot of, um, for a lot of evangelicals, abortion in the eighties became the single reason they were re-engaging with political action. Hmm. That was it. Because before then, you know, before then, a lot of evangelicals just figured, well, you know, the word, world's going to burn. You know, it's going to hell in a handbag. It's going to burn. So if what, you know, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. 
Yeah. Um, and then it was, you know, it, it was what really motivated, as I mentioned before, was, you know, the IRS suing Bob Jones University and saying you have to change your policies on admission or you're losing your ta- tax exempt status. And Southern fundamentalists saying, wait a minute, so you can come into our private institutions and tell us what we have to believe? Okay, now we have to get politically active again. We're not, we're not safe down here. Um, but that became tied together with abortion as a way to get the whole country of, you know, involved. Because Northern evangelicals were not very sympathetic to Bob Jones saying, they won't let us keep blacks out. Yeah, we were like, guys, it's 1976. I think you should, I think it's time to move on from that. Yeah. Uh, abortion was much more effective. So there were a couple of key books. Uh, C. Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General, co-wrote a book um, with Francis Schaeffer called uh, Slouching to Gomorrah. And it was about the moral decline of America. And it was about 1980. I was in high school. It started showing up at our churches. Like, oh, no, America is, we're going to Gomorrah. We're slouching. We're not even standing up going to Gomorrah. We're slouching to Gomorrah. How pathetic is that from a Christian perspective? And what's the number one reason was abortion. You know, is this this ethic of, of death. Um, and we just, you know, racism. Now we don't want to talk about racism because there's some uncomfortable things <laughs> you know, in the not distant past that we'd rather not bring up. And also because we have such a over-exaggerated sense of individual responsibility, you know, that we really do believe the American dream that if you work hard, you'll be a big success. And if you're not a big success, you have no one to blame but yourself. Yeah. So, so we have a real hard time with systemic racism because yep. of that individualism. So it's tricky. And that's why it's just so fun to unpack it, you know, whether yeah. it's on the podcast or, or in classes or try to make a little video to put on YouTube and make a bunch of people mad at you. But a bunch of other people say, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's like, okay, the thank yous are keeping me alive. Yeah. Because <laughs> all these people and are throwing don't, and, don't, and don't read the comments. <laughs> yeah, but know. so, so that, and that's a good segue to our last little bit here, because I want to respect your time. Yeah. You've been so, you've been so generous here. And let's, let's get back to this video and I, we don't have to unpack it anymore because I want people to go oh, watch yeah. it. I'll link to it. Uh, but here's what I, I do want to say as of right now, it has 1.2 million views, which is that I assume that's the biggest. That's on YouTube. On YouTube. It, it has on Facebook. It has 5.5 million views. And on uh, uh, what's it? There's an actress, um, uh, African American actress whose whose name just escaped me. Uh, what is she playing? Uh, uh, she's the the lead in the Help, and she's the lead in uh, uh, not Viola Davis. Not yes, um, yeah, yes, Viola Davis. Viola, Viola Davis. Okay. Viola Davis posted the video on her Instagram account. And it's been watched like six hundred thousand times there. So incredible. Uh, so we're so at, we're at like eight or nine million then. Maybe we're maybe, approaching maybe, eight. Maybe more. Yeah. And at least on YouTube, where I saw, I always look for the thumbs up and the thumbs down on YouTube, right? Because it's very. It's. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, wisely yeah. the comments have been turned off on that video. But yeah, I the did, likes never had them on. Yeah, good. The I saw the likes were like thir- twelve or thirteen thousand like, you know, thumbs up and a thousand thumbs down, which is a very good ratio. Cause when I went, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be like tons of thumbs down from a lot of people, you know, that yeah. maybe the camps that you've lived in or kind of existed in the last 20, 30 years, uh, people expecting you to still be the, you know, the Bob, the tomato, Larry, the cucumber guy. And then like, what's this right. video about race in America, which was, and so that is a, that's uh, a good on you for, 
delivering the message because you didn't you did not mince words in there. You gave mm-hmm. a I think a solid history, a, a solid for whatever you can do in 17 minutes, a solid overview of systemic racism in America. You did not mince words. You did not hide anything. And still, again, people that are Christian and not Christian and the likes are mostly up. So that is hard to do. You know that. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. that. It is hard to deliver such clear uh, but polarizing uh, information that right. as you just talked about these evangelicals that like, Oh, we don't want to reconcile. We don't want to, we don't want to face the racism stuff. We'll just, we'll just rest solely on the abortion issue because we have stuff in the near, in the near past that right. we right. would have to, we would have to talk if, about. And if we, we, have to fire- if we look back there, it doesn't look so good. No, it doesn't look so good at all. Very, very long ago. So I love that you were able to do that. I mean, it's a huge, yeah, a me huge- too. And it, it was really encouraging you know, just the number of people that said this, this helps so much. And I can share this with my kids. I can share it, you know, with my conservative grandparents. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, so it motivates you to, okay, I want to do that more, you know, cause I want to, what else can we tackle? You know, what else can we take on where if we do an hour and a half podcast, yeah, maybe, you know, 20, 30,000 people listen to it, but turn it into a 10 minute video and suddenly, you know, a million people, yeah, uh, inter- interact with it. So it's it's exciting, but the tone is so important, you yeah. know, because once someone feels condescended to or insulted, you know, or you're oh you're gonna because I had people say, hey, you should have said that it was more the Democrats' fault, and I had other people, you know, you should have said it was more the Republicans' fault. It's like no, that no, that's not the point. The point is not whose fault is it, which political party needs to be hit with a bat. The, point is it's, it was all of our faults. Yeah, you know, it's if all of you're, our if faults. You're, if you're in the majority, if I'm in the majority, people like me have been in the majority since the very beginning. So anything that's wrong is pretty much on us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. It's not, you know, it's not saying, because some people said, oh, you're saying America is a terrible place. I'm so sad. Like, no, America is good and bad. It's sinful and noble. It's, you know, it's smart and it's dumb because America is us. Yeah. It will because never America ever, is people. Yeah. It will never, ever be better than we are or worse than we are. So to think that it's somehow more noble than we are, that doesn't even make sense. Let's just no. think about what we're saying. So if we can accept, if I can accept that I am good and bad and evil and, and noble, you know, that I have sin in me, but I'm also capable of being very, very good sometimes, how could America not be the same? And how is it insulting to, to admit that and try to make it better? Yeah, exactly. Let's come full circle as we wrap up here. Full circle. You, full circle. You... Um, got famous as a creator of a widely popular, as we talked about in the beginning, children's show. Yes. If you I were brought starting, vegetables to life. Brought vegetables to life, and I've watched every single one of them. You, if you were to start that same thing today, again, yeah. you're 20 years, 20, 25 years more mature, older, you know things that you didn't know back then. You're making videos like this now. Yeah. Would you do it differently? Would you address different topics? Would you try to make these big conversations accessible to children or would you do the same thing over again? Oh, gee, you and your good questions. Um, I'm sure I would do it differently. I'm not exactly sure how I would try to be more strategic, you know, cause it, when I start, I mean, I was 24 years old, I think I'm 54 now. So it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, 
I was just like, hey, let's tell Sunday school lessons. So pick a story. Let's go. You know, so there wasn't really any, where are we trying to take kids over the long term? Um, and my, my second project, you know, what's in the Bible with the puppets was really, well, I'm going to start with Genesis and we're going to go all the way to Revelation. Mm-hmm. We're going to touch on every book in the Bible and explain why is it here? Why is it important? Why does it matter? Um, and so I, would, I probably would be more thoughtful and strategic in that regard. Um, but still, there's only so much heavy lifting you can do with cute, bouncy vegetables, you know, when you sure. want preschoolers to be able to engage. So it would still be a lot of, you know, it's Christian values taught in clever ways um, and Bible stories to give kids a basic understanding of Bible stories. Um, yeah, it, it, I'm not sure that I could do a ton more, but it, it would be fun to try. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's so important for, I see my work, I tell people this all the time, let's give a damn was started to help adults, mostly people that are in adult age, uh, undo a lot of bad habits and bad ways of thinking that they've grown up with, right? Because I think kids are way more, they're way more prone to give a damn. They're way more prone to like help and serve. Right. They're just ready right. to go, Right. Right. And, you know, so my friend Jelani started a book, uh, a book company recently called the kids book about, and he touches on a, you know, it's a kid's book about, he actually, his, his really big one, uh, is a kid's book about racism. He's a black mm-hmm. man, uh, raising mixed, you know, mixed kids. And he, yep. wrote, he wrote a kid's book about racism that went, that went viral. I mean, it went mm-hmm. huge and he does one about disabilities and divorce and mm-hmm. good, you know, emotions and all these different things. They have, they have tons of books they're creating because I think we, we don't give kids enough credit right. for how we still have to simplify things. still have to talk at their level, but they're so smart. I mean, my kids surprise me all the time. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the tricks is if you're doing like, if you're doing a Pixar film and you say, let's tackle a really controversial issue while well, you're going to spend $175 million on that film. Yeah. You can't be you can't be so controversial that your audience potentially you want everyone to go see it. Yeah. Yeah, Because you have an investor and they want to get their money back, you know, and because veggie tales was a fairly expensive production. Yeah. It's different. That's why the puppets, the puppets are so much easier because I can pay for a puppet video on a much smaller audience than I could pay for a veggie tales video, which means, you know, I can be more challenging. So that's one of the frustrations when you're a filmmaker and you want to like, if you go from indie films and you want to do a Marvel, you know, tentpole is you're going to have a whole lot of people in the food chain telling you, no, don't tackle that issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, don't, don't have that character. You know, we're not going to have that kind of character in this film. It has to be a four quadrant film. So there was a little of that in VeggieTales is like, we can't, we can't go push too hard. Uh, just because these films are expensive, you know, and if I can make less expensive films, I can push harder and have push harder. more fun. Chil- children's books are a great way, yeah. you know, to, to be more daring um, because they're easier to, they're just easier to fund. So they're easier to make your money back. And, you know, unless you, unless you have a donor, I mean, the ultimate dream is to have a wealthy donor who says, I want you to make Pixar quality films about challenging issues. Go for it. And say, God bless you, sir. Yeah. You'll never see this money back, but God yeah. bless you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for making that video. I'll link to the video in the show notes. I'll push people toward it. I'll link to your social media. You're a fun follow. Um, and again, thanks for spending time with us today. Uh, I think for a good chunk of our audience, 
we talked about some things, whether it was the Christian stuff, the faith stuff, the the race stuff. I think everybody will be able to get something out of this. So Something I, for the whole family. Something for everybody, including us talking about trying but not really doing the voices at the beginning because that would have been yes. a disaster. Yes. Thanks Goodbye, kids. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Nick. And that's the show today, friends. A massive thanks to Phil Vischer for joining me on the show. We have lots to learn from him. I truly hope you go listen to and watch his videos. And I hope you'll visit letsgiveadam.f for show notes and links and all that ish. Thanks for listening, friends. Seriously, I'm honored that you listen to these conversations, that you show up week after week after week. I created this show. Chad's Navely produced it. Let's Give a Damn is part of the Matter Media family. And you can reach out anytime at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Sending so much love and peace to each one of you. Stay safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.